Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Docs, welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. This is our MPI mini-series on being world-class at treating athletes. This is part four of four, and this is with Dr. Brett Winchester, and we're going to dive into a lot of information on return to sport guidelines and timeframes and, and really diving into it from a clinician standpoint, someone with a lot of experience, not just your typical guidelines you would read in a book for an injury. And as you'll hear, there's a lot of context that needs to go into making these decisions. And we probably could have had an eight-hour podcast on this or a course on it, but we dove in. Uh, we we got into it pretty quickly and and really touched on a couple key components and then some ancillary aspects and we even talk about particular conditions uh, the ankle the elbow and really give you a, a good starting point to start getting better at this if you feel like it's a blind spot for you uh, even if you're seasoned uh, chiropractor been doing this for a while uh, you know Dr Winchester brings a lot of experience and knowledge to this podcast. And we're excited about that. Uh, before we get to it, we do have the MPI Master Series Sports Summit, which will be all about the lumbar spine. And that's going to be in Overland Park, Kansas, March 25th and 26th. Got quite a lineup. We're going to have Mark King, Corey Campbell, Brett Winchester, Jason Ulm, David Seaman, and Rich Ulm to dive into all things spine. It's not just going to be uh, palpation. It's going to be that. It's going to be soft tissue and rehab and nutrition assessments. So a lot of what we talk about in this episode uh, will really be distilled down into the spine for this particular seminar. I'll be there, excited for it. First time back since uh, COVID had canceled the last few. And so hopefully you'll join us there. Again, that's March 25th and 26th. You can go to motionpalpation.org, click on the seminars tab, and you can register right there. Without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Brett Winchester. All right. Welcome to the show, Brett. I really appreciate your time today for this uh, MPI being world-class at treating athletes. And we're going to really dive into something that's specific. And for a lot of people, takes a lot of time to cultivate, but that is getting confident in return to play slash return to sport uh, guidelines and just overall clinical decision-making. So welcome to the show today. Thank you, Kevin. It's uh, wonderful to be here, of course. Yeah, so it's a it could be a, a a thorny topic, and there's a lot of different nuances to it, obviously. But let's start from the perspective of we're going to just talk about any athlete in general. But then sometimes you'll give us some, uh, you know, some context. If, if it's a pro athlete, you might have agents dive into this whole equation, and, and there's a lot of different people that play a role in that. But let's, uh, for the sake of our general conversation, we'll just say we're dealing with high school athletes, maybe it's college, maybe it's you, 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 NFL, whatever. Um, but what are some of your overarching thoughts on clinically getting really good at understanding how to make that determination on that um, athlete's time frame? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably start the conversation, Kevin, with uh, what I tell my patients, which is I didn't gain my reputation by resting my athletes. So, you know, you got to, you're on the razor's edge of, you know, you, you're going to have, uh, you know, the orthopedic model, which is going to be, you know, rest, immobility, you know, typically that, that thought. 
And then you have like the world that you and I are in, which is we're kind of pushing the limits and, you know, creating our reputations for getting our athletes back on the field. So I think that's like a, a really important initial point is we got to have context to the injury. For example, if you're a um, high school athlete, it's the second game of the season, you have a high ankle sprain, you're, you know, you're out a month, literally. I mean, there's no way around it. And even now there's surgical repair that we do to get you back in a month. Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's got to play this weekend, you know? So, I mean, there, there's a difference in context because, you know, this is potentially one of the biggest games of Patrick Mahomes' life. So, you know, the risk-benefit ratio is there. And, I mean, if we're talking about the high school athlete, that can also yeah, play out because you may have, you know, the state championship wrestling matches tomorrow. You have a, you know, a fractured fibula. Well, I can get you ready to still be able to wrestle tomorrow. I wouldn't do that if you were eight years old. And I wouldn't do it if it, if it were, weren't the state championship. But I think like you got to first just take a step back and say, is the risk going to be worth the benefit? That's like the first question to ask yourself. And then I think the other thing is, you know, you have so many different people that are involved. And a lot of times you'll actually have more pressure from a dad of an eight-year-old son than you will a professional athlete. And the reason is because if you have a sore elbow in professional baseball, especially with the, the uh, length of the season, you're on the 15-day IL, no questions asked. I mean, so you, if you take that and then you apply it to your little leaguer who's got a sore medial elbow, and you have dumbass dad there who's saying, "Well, he's got to play. You know, he's got to he's got to pitch Wednesday." No, he doesn't. Like, he does not need to pitch Wednesday. And I always bring it back to like you know professional baseball, where I say. If your son right now is a professional athlete, we would shut him down for two weeks. No questions asked. That doesn't mean we're not doing therapy and rehab. Of course, he's there every other day getting all those things done with the latest and greatest technologies that we all know. But we also have a brain to know that, you know, rest is uh, rest is important with these with these injuries. So you got to have context, the injury, and you got to understand the risk benefit ratio. And then, like you said, and I think this is a really good point. It's got to come with conviction. So, I mean, you have to say it and you can't be wavering on it. You literally, if you don't think they should play, you need to tell it. Like you, you cannot play because really what you're, you're trying to, you're trying to tug on the heartstrings of the parents a little bit and make it seem like that they are insane for letting their son or daughter play in two days. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So that way you take it off the table and that's not even an option. And, uh, it literally has taken me 20 years to get to this point. But I mean, you know, if I could tell myself as a younger clinician, that would be one of the things when, uh, when you know, something's right, you got to come at it with a, with a lot of certainty. Yeah. And, and I want to touch on that a little bit on both ends. It can be very tricky with, with the parents and hopefully this conversation you and I have can speed up the younger clinicians conviction a little bit and, and, and have that direct conversation with the parent. And cause it's tricky too, because the parent typically is is obviously making the decision in that standpoint. It's one person, maybe two, you know, maybe the, the two parents are going to, you know, have that communication on it. But a lot of times you'll find one parent is the decision-making as far as the athletics goes, right? Um, and so or there's the just- parents are divorced or separated, and that can add like a completely wrinkle, you know, to it also. <laughs> That's a whole other level of context for sure. Yeah. Uh, so you have that. And then I, I, I always look back, back in like 2014, We'll go on the other end of the spectrum with, with professional sports. So I had an opportunity to treat a top five golfer down at the Doral event. 
they brought me in for neck stuff. And, but he also had this thumb thing and, and I had nothing to do with the thumb thing other than uh, I was privy to the whole process of his team making decision. And the next uh, two weeks from that Doral tournament, this was back when it was um, organized this way, schedule-wise, was the Masters. And, I mean, they took him out to the driving range. They evaluated. We sat down with, like, his agent, his swing coach, his performance coach. I happened to be able to, to hang out there. Um, it was him, his wife, and he hit some balls. He felt pretty good. He was off a little bit. The context was he decided to shut it down at the Doral and not play because he wanted to get prepared for the Masters. Now, if it would have been the Masters, he would have played, right? So that's your point of the context is, is there's a lot to it for sure. Right. And then I think, too, I mean, you know, if, if we're dealing with like professional athletes, there's so many business decisions that, that come at play. So I learned from one of the orthopedists of the Cardinals, who I think is one of the best in the world of what we're talking about, which is, you know, you when you understand soft tissue injury, being able to tell the team like what this injury actually looks like instead of just guessing, you know, and it, it, the higher level they are, that's where like MRIs and, you know, maybe ultrasound really helps us guide, you know, an organization or, or even like the parents to let them know that, you know, this is a two week injury or this is a four week injury. This is what you should expect. And I think what a parent wants to hear, they want to hear what the plan is. And they also want to be getting an update along the way. So at one week, they want to know, you know, is my son or daughter, are, are they hitting their marks for one week? Is everything going the way that we want? And then if, if things aren't going the way that we want, I think they're okay with that as long as you kept them educated. The problem is when you're at your timeline and you haven't educated them well, and then they think their kid is ready to play and they're actually not ready to play. And, and then you get, then you get stuck. So, I mean, I, I think a pretty good way to, to sum up the topic we're talking about right now would just be maybe to be safe, especially early on, you could overestimate how long the injury is going to potentially take. That way, if you, you know, if you're outdoing your parameters, then we can get the athlete back. And that happens all the time. I mean, even in physical therapy where, you know, I mean, and I don't think this is right. And James Andrews will say, you know, he tries to talk all his ACL repairs to waiting a year to get back to play. But I mean, we have, you know, we have kids getting back to six months, you know, six to eight months after ACL. So, I mean, that opens up a new discussion of, you know, are they truly ready to play? And, you know, what, you know, does it make sense for them to play? If they're the star, you know, female soccer player in the area, they're going to college. But, oh, by the way, just for fun, they're playing basketball. I don't think it's worth the risk to play basketball, especially if they're, you know, they're getting a scholarship for soccer. That's not the cool thing to say now, because the cool thing to say is, you know, sports specialization where my son or daughter's playing eight different sports. And uh, the one thing I've learned about sports, if you want to go somewhere in your sport, you need to be playing that particular sport a lot. But the cool thing now is to say that, you know, that, that we play three and four different sports, which when you're young, I think that's important. But then real quickly, you're going to see that you're going to need to somewhat specialize into your sport, unless you're just like a freak that is able to be all state at everything. But that is 0.001% of, uh, of the population. Yeah. I mean, you don't even see the Bo Jacksons of Deion Sanders anymore in professional sports. Like, you know, Kyler Murray, they're just like, no, you're picking one of these things. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know? You can't but do both. Also, I mean, the what I think chiropractors probably don't do a great job of overall is 
you know, if we just look at the original way that we describe tissue injury, which is, you know, we have an inflammatory stage, a repair stage, and a remodeling phase, we don't understand those phases very well. So if you, if you can really wrap your brain around those phases and everyone's got a different timeline, I mean, a pretty good rule of thumb is the inflammatory stage is, you know, 24 to 48 hours. We have, uh, you know, we have interleukin cytokines, we have macrophages, like that whole uh, tumor, necros tumor necrosis factor. We have all of these things that occur once we injure ourselves, And that, that is, we, we basically have to respect that phase, you know, like, there's no doing anything crazy in that first 48 hours. So, and then after that, we get to, um, you know, the repair phase. So that's like, you know, we're starting to, you know, add weight bearing exercise We're we're pushing the limits, but you know, we're not ready to get back to the field. And then of course we have that remodeling phase, which is, um, that phase where we're slowly, but surely kind of getting them ready, uh, to get back on the field. And, uh, and I think what happens is sometimes our treatment, ironically, puts people back into the inflammatory stage and we actually are doing that on purpose. So let me give you an example. I would say like of the people that are treating athletes, I would say 80% of us are doing some form of, you know, dry needling or acupuncture. When you decide to do that, or when you decide to scrape on things or, you know, whatever the soft tissue technique is, we are basically saying at that point, we're putting you back into the inflammatory hospital, which is fine. We do that literally on purpose a lot of times. But then we don't educate the athlete or the parents that we are purposely inflaming this tissue hmm. to actually create the response that everything I just mentioned with, with the cytokines, the interleukins and the growth factors, all of those. And then we need to now be careful in the next 24 hours because we've just purposely created an inflammatory response. Now, why that matters is because if you're starting, if you're the starting pitcher tonight at 715, Shifting them back into the inflammatory stage at two o'clock this afternoon is a horrible idea. And I think I see this mistake. I mean, it's probably the most common mistake I made and see made in professional athletes across the board, not just baseball, all of them. So really, you know, having the leadership to kind of understand, you know, you're in charge of this case. We're purposely doing this. We educate them that, you know, we would expect you to be sore. In fact, what I tell my athletes, I want you to be sore. Like I am, uh, we have an old, we have a saying in that first 48 hours, it, if it hurts, it works. So, uh, you know, that's, we're putting you back in the inflammatory hospital. Then, you know, at 48 hours, then we're starting the uh, repair phase. And that, that stage looks a little bit different. And then the remodeling phase looks different. And what the evidence-based group is going to want to hear, because they're so guilty of under-treating their athletes, and I mean, I, and I'm not saying this from a business standpoint, but I'm kind of as a business standpoint, mm -hmm. you have, you know, at least four to six weeks of treatment that should be done on these athletes. So I would say that a majority of people, just because they're such ethical, awesome humans that are going to be on listening to this, they are grossly, grossly, grossly under treating their athletic injury. Yeah. And I want to touch on that a little bit because, and I use the analogy a lot of times like, okay the NFL player gets hurt, how many times a, a day and how many times a week do you think they're getting treated, right? Every day, probably twice a, a day, if not, not more, of some, some fashion, right? And it's like, why are they doing that? Because it works, right? It gets them better quicker. They're on timeline, pain reduction, you know, all the things. It, it works. So then we get the same scenario, except for it's not a pro athlete now. It's a regular, you know, 17-year-old. 
and we do this like, oh, let's do once or twice a week for a couple of weeks, see how it goes. And we're very like wishy-washy on it. And and now I get there's finances involved. I guess there, I get there's travel and time and all those things. But are you actually giving the recommendations that's going to get them uh, return to sport uh, in a timely manner? And I think too, like uh, conviction, certainty, confidence, that is what in the beginning, honestly, I hate to say this, you just have to fake it until you, you know, you, you actually are feeling it, you know, that within yourself to, to have that conviction. But the, the parents and the athletes will feed off of your confidence. Like now, and it's taken me a while to get to this point. Cause I was, when I was young, I was, I literally thought that I could fix everybody in three visits. And then once I had my epiphany moment, when I learned that that's, that's basically not possible. I mean, you have your miracles, don't get me wrong, but the reality of it is these injuries are, you know, they're, they're a little bit of a process. And I actually, one of the most important things Mark King taught me when I was, you know, still in school was a lot of things don't actually have a fix. They need to be managed. And our job is to be there to manage these cases really, really well. And I think where this conversation is headed is, you know, return to play, which means if we get an athlete, we get them out there too soon and they blow up and they're, or they're not ready. Well, that's also not going to look great on you, you know? So you want to be sure that you've done your due diligence on the front end. And, um, and then that way they're truly actually ready to, to get back out on the field. Yeah. And obviously one of the big, huge differentiators you need to make as a clinician is making sure there's no red flags from the injury, right? Like get a rule out. Let's, let's for the sake of argument as chiropractors, we've ruled out the, the, derangements right like they didn't tear the acl they, you know, they didn't fracture the whatever you know, like so we've ruled that type of stuff out now it's a um a sprain strain that that's going to heal we can speed that up we can get it better we can start to make judgments you know is it a grade one hamstring strain or is it a grade two like we can start to really use our clinical judgment and our evaluation process to do that so we'll use that as our kind of backdrop we for the rest of this episode is like, let's, let's put away the crazy stuff, the stuff that's out of our office. And, and then they're not playing. Now we got this athlete that's got pain. It's an injury. Um, we have to make the decision. Yeah, you can play probably not going to make it worse. You're probably not going to feel hundred percent. We can get you out there. It's uh, the playoffs or it's towards the end of the season. It's important. Uh, what are some of your thoughts around that conversation? Well, in hearing you talk, I think probably maybe the easiest thing we can do is just pick an injury. So let's pick uh, an inversion ankle sprain, which is the most yeah. common injury that, you know, you're going to see in a sports medicine practice. The first thing that we ask the, the athlete is, did you feel a pop? And the reason that is important is because they, they, this has all been looked at from a research standpoint. When people rupture their uh, ATFL or their anterior talofibular ligament, 100% of the time, they will, they actually feel the, a distinct pop in their ankle. So that is a really, really important question to ask because that's going to have huge effects in the trajectory of that case. So then the next thing would be, okay, from a, if, if they didn't feel a pop or maybe they did, you know, what is the orthopedic test we want to, that we want to do? One thing we've learned about the spine is orthopedic tests are essentially worthless besides like a straight leg raise. Now in the extremities is a little bit different. So in the ankle you have uh, like an anterior drawer test, for example. So that would tell us the integrity of the ATFL or, and, the uh, and the other ligament we got to worry about is the calcaneal fibular ligament. We also have like an x-ray criteria that's called the Ottawa criteria, which is if they have certain tenderness, like around the distal fibula, the fifth metatarsal head, 
Um, you know, there's certain key areas that you can look for if you Google the Idaho criteria criteria. And that tells you whether or not you'd want to order maybe a plane you actually right off the bat. Because like you said, you certainly do not want to be missing, uh, you know, one of these rare little fractures that we can see. So, you know, then at that point, you know, the, the next question is, okay, so insurance is in the way. So, you know, we can't just roll out and get an MRI to find out if the ATFL is torn. What's my cheaper option? Well, for $150, I can get a diagnostic ultrasound, and that will tell me whether or not the ATFL is ruptured or not. And the reason this matters is if the ATFL is ruptured, usually, at least for the rest of that season, maybe for the rest of their life, if they're on an uneven surface, they are going to require a certain brace. So we use a Don Joy Velocity brace, but otherwise they're either going to need to, you know, tape themselves or have a brace for them to probably have the stability that they want. Now, if they're just going to go run out on pavement or asphalt, they're not going to need a brace for that in the future. But that's why like really early on in that example, I want to know whether or not they actually have a ruptured ATFL. The other thing is if you're three days out in an inversion ankle sprain, it's all blown up, it's, uh, it's swelling, it's doing its thing, but you're able to play, you can almost bet the farm that they actually don't have a ruptured ATFL because um, that injury is also, you know, I mean, that, you're looking at the best case scenario on that, like on an ATFL ruptured three weeks and usually it, it also is about a month to recover from. But I always tell the parents, like, there's, there's two longitudinal studies and like they found that, you know, whether or not you do surgery, um, it really doesn't matter on a two-year follow-up. So, you know, we, at, so far, we're, we're not doing surgery to repair that ATFL. But as you can see real quickly here, Kev, like knowing what the exact injury is helps a lot to give advice to the coaches. And that way you're not looking like a buffoon on like the advice that you're giving because if they have an ATL bell rupture, they're not playing if if today's uh Tuesday, they're not they're not playing Thursday. There's no way. So like don't even, you know, throw that out. In fact, we're probably gonna put them in a boot for, you know, three to four days just to kind of, you know, let them get around and, you know, let that inflammatory stage kind of settle down. So Yeah. Uh, we've all made that mistake too. I know I have where sometimes you find you miss something that's gonna be a longer time frame of recovery and getting out there. He's like, oh yeah, I think they'll be better, you know, in a week or two. And and next thing that week or two comes by and they're like, they're not ready yet. What happened? You know, now it's an indictment on your care that you've given. It was a mistake in your diagnosis, but your di they're going to start blaming your care. It's like, oh, you know, he's not that good at treating this or something like that. Right. Like it, it can really come down on you if you're not getting there. Now it's never going to be perfect. Some people aren't going to respond like they should, even in perfect scenarios, but you got to get the diagnosis right. And this is where this goes so different than like general population. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I feel like this is a really important point. If you are going to play in the sandbox of athletics, you want and need imaging because imaging will save your reputation. So in the world of general population, of course, we have these guidelines. I mean, people are telling us like they need to, you know, like look at Medicare guidelines. You need to fail with, you know, a month of physical therapy before you can even get any imaging. In the athletic world, especially as uh, MRIs are way more cost effective, I can get a lower extremity MRI for $300. So just to save my reputation, I just put it on the patient. I'm like, listen, this is going to determine the next, you know, four weeks of care. It's 300 bucks. I can, you know, even if you have a high deductible, just pay cash for it. That way we know what we're dealing with. And I can give you way better advice once I see the MRI. 
And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story on a, we, this is a, one of our pitchers. He is, uh, you know, he was, I don't know what year it was, not important, but he's doing a walking piriformis or external rotator stretch. If you can imagine what that would look like. And uh, so he feels his big old distinct pop in the lateral part of his knee. And I'm basically the first one there. It's blowing up. He's got joint line tenderness. Uh, he can't squat. He can't duck walk. I'm the first one on the field. And I say, uh, yeah, you got a, you know, you got a lateral meniscus tear probably. And um, then the two orthopedists get there later on that day. And they're like, yeah, he's, he has found a way to basically tear his lateral meniscus, you know, and he felt the distinct pop, the whole deal. So we get the MRI, the MRI comes back. The lateral meniscus is literally perfect and pristine, nothing. He's got an acute popliteus tear that you typically only see in dashboard injuries and car accidents. But that's like a perfect example of like in private practice, you would have thought it was a lateral meniscus. You would have treated it conservatively. Three weeks later, it would have been better and it would have been fine. But when you actually have the imaging, you see, you know, the difference. And, and in that example, that makes a huge difference because, you know, if you have a lateral meniscus injury, I, I'm, you're in the McKinsey Hospital. I'd probably be using directional preference. If you have an acute muscle tear, then you're treating that athlete completely different. So I would be an advocate for when possible getting imaging. And I mean, with the advent of the MRI, the MRI just tells the whole story. So I typically, and I know this goes against a lot of guidelines in the world of athletics, I usually just a lot of times bypass the x-ray and I just want to go right to the MRI because it will tell me the whole story. Yeah. Because again, you need to know exactly what you're treating. You got to come up with some pretty, you know, distinct timelines for the athlete, for the parents, for the coaches, for the agents, whatever it may be. You, and, and having that um, imaging, and again, even to like, you can go to a hamstring strain, you can get imaging of that and, and know, is it a one or a two? If it's, if it's an NFL player and they're coming up on it, it's like, okay, is he missing one week or is he missing four or six weeks? Or like, <laughs> that's important stuff to know. No. And I think that the hamstring injury is a perfect example. Like, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at it, but I bet I could get within three days. If you if you showed me the MRI report by somebody who knows what they're doing, I mean, you could real quickly get a pretty good window of what that, what that injury is going to look like. And I, I can't believe, I mean, cause it's my world, but like UCL is a perfect example of that. Like kid comes in with medial elbow pain, let's say they're 15 years old and you're treating conservatively one month later, you find out, well, shit, you had a ruptured UCL this whole time. Like you could have, you just lost four weeks, you know? Like, so sometimes I think, and I know it's not the cool thing to say, but in the world of sports, the imaging is key. And the other thing, Kev, if they start to, let's just say they cheat on you, they go to the orthopedist, does not trust in your opinion. What's the first thing the orthopedist is going to do? MRI. Order the MRI. So then, and then you really being the low man on the totem pole, being a chiropractor, you really look like a buffoon because they're like, that dumbass chiropractor was treating you. Why didn't they just order the imaging? You know, like, so it's real quickly for, you know, you'll look like an idiot. So I, that got done to me one time and I'm like, not, not anymore. Like I'm going to get the imaging, even if it's, you know, expensive because that way I'm going to save my reputation. Yeah. And, I, and we've had a couple of those recently, uh, the, the, um, teenage baseball elbow and we sent right out for the MRI, uh, and it came back and, and what we talked to the parents about, I was like, look, we're going to be cautious, get the MRI now. 
hopefully it shows nothing, but we want to know one way or the other, because that's going to be a big determination of, of how we progress with this. And then if it, you know, if the MRI comes back and it's got a significant issue, a lot of times, and I'd like to get your input on this, kind of be our, our last little topic in here. Um, at what point do you really start to co-manage with other specialists? Uh, you, let's say you get that MRI, it comes back based on some of the findings. When are you starting to refer and co-manage? Um, you know, one thing I learned early on is, you know, as long as I can always play well with the people around me, it always goes good for me. And, uh, like with the chiropractor, again, whether you like it or not, I mean, you know, at least when you're young too, you're the low man on the totem pole. But what's interesting as you start to get your reputation, like you actually either in the patient's eyes or even the orthopedist, you actually become the high man on the totem pole. If you if you can just help yourself early on and not get ahead of, ahead of yourself. But I think that, you know, when you need advice from somebody because you literally don't know, then get get advice. Uh, and I think a lot of chiropractors make that mistake. Like they they don't know. And therefore, because they don't know, then they're they're, you know, they're accruing a lot of liability in the case because they simply don't know where if you can just make a relationship with an orthopedist, which they will love you for what I'm about to tell you. I mean, because what they want is they want a gatekeeper like you and me. So the difference between myself and, you know, the local primary care doc is I'm a way better gatekeeper, meaning like, you know, if you're the primary care doc and an older patient comes in with knee pain, they send every knee case to the orthopedist, basically. The orthopedists hate that because they don't make any money on that visit, right? So what the orthopedists love about, you know, you and me would be that when we send them to you, they're going to surgery, you know? So you and I become this amazing gatekeeper. But to answer your question, what, what that means is they also are willing to step in and give advice. Like in medial elbow, I mean, I got, you know, George Paletti here in St. Louis. If I'm questioning anything at all, I, I let him look at it and he doesn't mind. He's like, a lot of times you know, he'll just look at the report on the phone or download the image and just basically tell me whether or not it's even worth him seeing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great way of building relationships of other providers and having that communication. And early on, especially don't be afraid to ask them questions and, and be humble and learn. They're not going to look down on you because they, you know, like they expect a chiropractor to be able to ask them questions on the elbow. They don't expect us to be the absolute expert. They know they are quote unquote. And so you asking them particular questions isn't going to say, oh, this chiropractor doesn't know anything. You know, it's well, the other thing too, I mean, that is your way when you're young to shed liability, you know, like, so if the case doesn't go well and ends up in surgery, you've at least had the orthopedist get his opinion on it. And then you end up looking good no matter what, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what are some overall good resources for getting other than just trial by fire, but some good resources of getting more information on these types of um, topics on return to sport and guidelines. And, you know, obviously we touched on the ankle and a little bit on the elbow, eh, hamstring, but there's so many different things. What would you recommend? I mean, I think like the orthopedic book that, you know, that the orthopedists always talk about is Jerez, Dalee, and Miller. It's three different authors. Um, it's a two set series. I mean, you would literally, uh, uh, go nuts reading this whole book, but because it goes through surgical procedures and things like that, but it also timelines sports injuries really, really well. I think that's an important point. And then, you know, if, if an, an athlete has had a previous injury, 
to date, that's the only thing we really know that's going to predict the next injury. So like, it's like I tell our guys with the high school, cause you know, we have the contract at our high school. It's, it's like, just take their injuries from their career. And that's what we need to be doing specifically for them, because that is really the only known thing that exists that's leaving them susceptible to a future injury. And I think that thought is very underrated also. So knowing what previous injuries they've dealt with is a really good way to prevent um, future injuries. And then, you know, I mean, everybody's got a different philosophy on like, why balance whether or not or a six inch step down, you know, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll never solve that problem, but I think having some kind of criteria. And I also think Kevin, this is, I think the most important point that people don't talk about the biggest mistake that gets made is you've done nothing for four weeks. You pass a dark fish or uh, a Y balance, whatever the assessment is. And then, okay, go play in the game tonight. What's never talked about, but I think is a really critical point is there's got to be some kind of hybrid between that. Like you've got to, let's just take soccer, for example, you've got to go out in a light scrimmage with, you know, a couple of your friends or your teammates. And that's got to be like part of the process and then go a little bit harder to the, you know, in two days, go a little bit harder. I mean, it's a lesson in graded exposure. And I think for some reason, we just don't do that very well. Like we, you know, we go hard on the physical therapy side and then, oh, time to go back to the field. You're ready. Instead, there's got to be graded exposure on the actual athletic field because what you're going to find, you could go out, you know, and just be knocking a soccer ball around and you might come back and be like, yeah, I'm not ready. Well, then, you know, you're not ready. Whereas, uh, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, the game's tonight, you got to go back out. And I think that would be a really solid piece of advice to your question because your question really doesn't have a direct answer because everybody continues to infight on that that question yeah but i think you brought up a great topic is is start to learn what graded exposure would be for particular sports and then also that's a great way of having communication with the coaches and say hey look this is what we're looking at as far as graded exposure into soccer i need to get he needs to be able to give you feedback vice versa we need to communicate on this and, and ultimately, that helps with the decision-making process. So I'm glad you brought that well, up. I mean, we don't want him getting slit, slit tackled, you know? Like, so, I mean, maybe we put a yellow shirt on him, maybe, you know, like, but, you know, the people around him also need to know that he's trying to come back right now, you know? And people have a really, you know, you know how binary the world is right now. People just don't do well with, you know, moderation at all. Um, and then I would, I would add one more huge tip to people in sports medicine. When you're dealing with injury, tell the athlete and the parents, use it as a catalyst to get them back. Because in the orthopedic world, they're basically telling them, you know, you, you tore your UCL, your ACL, kind of your career's in jeopardy now, your livelihood's in jeopardy, your way to make money's in jeopardy, you know, that's your identity. So what I do, and this really has served me well, is, you know, you tore your UCL tonight. This sucks. Let's cry about it tonight because, I mean, this is going to wreck your world. But tomorrow when you wake up, let's take the next six months of our life. And this is actually going to make you a better athlete. It's just going to be a catalyst to be better than you were before. And how I know you're healed from your injury mentally is because a year from now, you'll look back at your injury and you would say this, Kevin, you would say, I'm glad that I tore my ACL and then I make them fill in the blank for it. Like it, it was a catalyst for me to, to come back. 
And I feel like the really good athletes, they do a really good job internally of doing this. And then like you and I are in a perfect position to just be that voice of confidence for them. Like, yeah, you know, we're pissed off that this happened to you. Uh, I'm a competitive human being and they can feel that I'm competitive. Like, let's do this together. Let's uh, from this point forward, here's the plan. When you're about to get down on your injury, just remember you're coming back better than you were before. So there's no bad things in sports injuries. There are only learning moments. I love it. That's great. Um, I'm excited to run into you at the MPI Sports Summit, Kansas City. Uh, it's going to be all spine-related stuff. I'm sure we'll be diving into some of these topics, but all related to the spine, and, and that'll be a great one. It's been a few years, hasn't it? Yeah, man, what a what a crazy couple of years. But, uh, yeah, we, we might actually manipulate some people that weekend, too, since it's a spine, so that, that'll be fun. And then... Uh, yeah, and then we got the new format with the adjustathon. You know, like, and I know you and I have been talking about this, but you know, this year we're going to really be attracting the docs. So, you know, we've always had you know 300 students there, but we're going to try to you know continue to make this just the breeding ground for MPI. And the the seminar for the adjustathon will be separated. So, yeah. and I think it's going to be it's going to be insane. We're going to have a college game day set there. I mean, it is it's going to be. It's yeah. going to be off the hook. So yeah, it'll be so fun. Actually, I had a, I got an email from a, from a young doc who went through all the MPI stuff and it, he was emailing me back from the Corey Campbell episode on this series of manipulation in, in the athlete. And one of his complaints, cause Corey and I talked about how when you're in chiropractic school, you're just adjusting other chiropractic students all day long. And that's pretty easy. You get out of the real world and you got, you know, Bob, who's 240 pounds and hasn't moved in, in five years. It's harder to to get that manipulation and, and even the palpation aspect of it. And so this particular Cairo is emailing me. He's like, is there any, you know, seminars that are more DC based where we can get our hands on a lot of other DCs and, and and learn from them as well and adjust DCs that are 40 years old and 50 years old, guys like you and I that are harder to adjust now. Um and so yeah, we're we're trying to get that to happen with with MBI and really make it to, to where these DCs that are out in the field start getting back into it and 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 honing that skill set. Well, an interesting happens when you're a student. It's you know because everyone's so hypermobile and young, it's harder to palpate, easy to adjust. And then ironically, real quickly you get into private practice, and all of a sudden it's really easy to palpate because you couldn't miss that stiffness if you tried. And then it's harder to adjust because you're not used to adjusting through a cinder block, literally. But <laughs> So yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to those changes as well, but, uh, Hey, thanks for your time today. This was great. I know we could do an eight hour, uh, podcast like Joe Rogan style on it, but we'll have to keep it piffy. Yeah. Thanks Kevin for everything you're doing for MPI and the profession. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to make the shift from busy, broke and broken to time free and cash confident, or you just want to continue with the exponential growth, Check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Look at the MCM Mastery tab. Watch the short video on there and check out what we are doing now for evidence-informed chiropractors. We are equal parts coaching and marketing done for you. Yes, you shoot some videos. We help you with campaign strategies and ideas and really become a thought leader in your community. You shoot those videos. You send them to us. We produce, edit, and brand them to you. Then we distribute them through all of your channels. 
We also take them and we turn it into one good blog per month. And every other month we have Darcy Sullivan producing a robust blog with a topic that you pick from her database to help with your SEO. So we essentially become your content marketing agency to make sure your practice is always having ethical, elegant content marketing to help grow your practice. On the coaching side, we also help you with everything from marketing ideas to business, communications, finances, anything practice growth, and really try to help prevent you from being stuck on that island. And we hold you accountable. We have a great group of doctors that are just doing amazing things. And we look forward to help you out to take that next step in your practice. So again, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com and learn more.